Good morning, church. Um, when John asked me to do this by text, um, I said, if I do this, will people come? He said, we won't tell them. It'll be a trick. So he did place an announcement in Thursday's email. And in about six-point font, you could see my name, Dick Meyer. Anyway, so if you saw that announcement and you came anyway, came anyway bless you. <laughs> if, if you found out this morning during Sunday school and you didn't leave during the break, thank you. Bless you. <laughs> bless you. Um, so this morning I'll be sharing from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. And in that message, which the title I, I've given it is Jesus Christ, the creator of all things. And the theme I'd like us to grab a hold of this morning is seeing Jesus as the creator of all things is foundational in our understanding of all that he is to us. And I'll be making three points. Jesus is God eternal. By Jesus, all things are created. And Jesus created his church. So with those in mind, a little bit later, we're going to be reading the scripture after I give a little bit of information up front here. So as far as my personal testimony, uh, when I was young, I spent a lot of time in my dad's garage. In his shop, he was a carpenter by trade and a builder by profession. Much scrap wood was available to me, and I had an imagination that drove me. I enjoyed building whatever thing I thought would be good to build. Having that time in my dad's shop and being on the job with him led me to an interest in construction. Around that time, I had an older cousin who already was pursuing an engineering degree at Cal Berkeley. My cousin encouraged me to pursue engineering, so I decided to pursue the math and sciences I needed to, to later enroll in an engineering curriculum in college. This was in high school. As I studied the sciences, I began to see a conflict with what was being taught and my faith. My response to this was an error. Instead of confronting matters like Darwinism and the Big Bang Theory, I compartmentalized these things in my thoughts. I had things of faith and I had things of science that I mentally put into boxes and made sure that one did not touch the other. Men do that, right? While I thought this might work, of course it did not. I was deeply conflicted. Then one summer before my junior year, I attended summer camp at Hume Lake. There was an incredible speaker there named Kenny Poor. He was a jovial man, jovial large man who loved teens. I was truly blessed by this man's teaching as he talked about the conflicts that occur between science and our faith. Thank you, Lord. He said, I'll explain the Big Bang Theory to you. Maybe you've heard this before. I'll take you to a scrapyard. There you'll find plenty of auto parts. I'll bring along significant amounts of dynamite. Then I'll have you tromp around at the scrapyard and place dynamite in strategic places. You'll have plenty of fuse cords so that you can tie all the dynamite together to a single detonator. 
then at a safe distance we'll set off the dynamite all at once. We'll watch intently and then after the smoke and dust clears, we'll see in the middle of it all a brand new red Mercedes-Benz car. He paused and then said, well, what do you think? Well, I knew what to think. What a ridiculous thing. That's impossible. Chaos cannot create order. He continued to teach that God's design is completely apparent and right before our eyes. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Psalm 19.1. In that moment, I realized that there is much that man speculates and calls it science, merely to avoid the argument that God, a wonderful creator, truly exists, and he created all things. I know that God's word is true. From cover to cover, it is true. From Genesis 1-1, where Moses wrote, in the beginning God created, to Revelation 22, where the Apostle John wrote what Jesus said, surely I am coming soon. This morning, I'm not going to try to argue against science as indeed I'm an engineer, a practitioner, a uh, scientist. What I hope to do is to show you a God who is Jesus Christ, who is the creator of all things, and knowing this fact and wholly believing it is foundational to our understanding of all he is to us. And before I read today's scripture, I'd like to give you a little um, understanding of where Paul was when he wrote this text. Colossae, Colossae was a city in Phrygia in the Roman province of Asia, and this is from MacArthur, um, part of modern Turkey, about 100 miles east of Ephesus. Although Colossae's population was mainly Gentile, there was a large Jewish settlement as early as 223 BC. Colossae's mixed population of Jews and Gentiles manifested itself both in the composition of the church and in a heresy that plagued it, which contained elements of both Jewish legalism and pagan mysticism. The church at Colossae began during Paul's three-year ministry at Ephesus. Its founder was not Paul, who had never been there, but Epaphras, who apparently was saved during a visit to Ephesus, then likely started the church in Colossae when he returned home. Several years after Colossian church was founded, a dangerous heresy arose to threaten it. It contained elements of what later became as known as Gnosticism, that God is good, Mad, but matter is evil, that Jesus Christ was merely one of the, a series of emanations or angels descending from heaven and being less than God. Epaphras was so concerned about this heresy that he made the long journey from Colossae to Rome, where Paul was a prisoner. Paul's letter was written from prison, prison in Rome around 60 AD and is therefore referred to as a prison epistle. Paul's focus in his letter was to direct the Colossian church to the truth of Jesus' deity. So would you please stand with me as we read the scripture? Colossians 1, 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and he is, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile him to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Um, thank you, Lord, for blessing us with your word. Lord, I pray to you that everything I say to my, today would be only your truth and guided by your Holy Spirit. And may this word bless us today, penetrate our hearts, and affect us as we walk with you. And in Christ's name I pray, amen. You can be seated. Thank you. So I'll be sharing these three truths that hone in on our need to understand Jesus Christ as the creator of all things. The first point is this. Jesus is God eternal. From verse 15a, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And I found three emphasis in the scripture that directs us to the fact that he is God. The first is, he is the image of the invisible God. Jesus Christ is the perfect image, the exact likeness of God, and is in the very form or the, of the same essence of God and has been so from all eternity. By describing Jesus in this manner, Paul emphasizes that he is both the representation and manifestation of God. And from Barclay, citing Lightfoot, by the way, this is from John Doobie, right? <laughs> An image can be a representation, but a representation, if it is perfect enough, can become a manifestation. When Paul uses the word, that is, image, he lays it down that Jesus is the perfect manifestation of God. To see what God is like, we must look at Jesus. Jesus perfectly manifests God to men in the form which man can see and know and understand. Hebrews 1.3 states, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. One of the most important verses in understanding that Christ is fully God was given to us by Jesus himself in John 8.58 when he responded to the Jewish leader's question, Are you greater than our father Abraham, who has died? Jesus replied, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. This was extremely impactful to the Jewish leaders when he said this, that they responded in a plan to stone him. They immediately knew that Christ was claiming to be God as they knew the scriptures about Moses when Moses asked God, When they asked me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, and God said, say this to the people of Israel. I am sent, I am sent me to you. 
Exodus 3, 13 and 14. Christ's statement of before Abraham, I, before Abraham was, I am, is also impactful to us in a very good way. We have a Savior who is God eternal. Secondly, Jesus is God eternal because Christ has a supreme position over all creation. From verse 15b, Christ is the firstborn of all creation. Now, there's a little bit of a puzzle in this statement, firstborn of all creation, and it makes the reader question, was Christ created? We know that's not to be true, and so uh, I'm offering you this explanation in this verbiage. First of all, while the, the, the translation is literal, it's not in the context of Jewish and Greek culture, and it's not in the context We've got to look at it in the context of how Paul writes it. So in both Jewish and Greek culture, the firstborn was the highest-ranking son of the family. Firstborn is used of Israel, who, not being the first nation, was, however, the preeminent nation. Firstborn in this context, in Paul's letter, in Greek and in Hebrew, clearly means highest in rank or highest in honor not first created for several, for several reasons, three reasons. One, Christ cannot be both first begotten and only begotten. Second, if Paul was teaching that Christ was created a created being, he was agreeing with the heresy he was writing to refute. And three, it is impossible for Christ to be both created and the creator of everything. The psalmist is quoting the Lord and in referring to the Messiah in Psalm 89, 26-27, affirming his supreme position. He, that is the Messiah, this is the Lord speaking, shall cry to me, you are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And the Lord said, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of kings of the earth. Thus, Jesus is the firstborn in the sense that he has the highest position of honor. He existed before creation and is exalted above all of it. Third, God, God, Jesus is God eternal because he possesses the right of inheritance over all creation. Christ, being the firstborn of all creation, possesses the right of inheritance over all creation. All things are his, now and forevermore. As king of kings, he reigns over all things. This is his inheritance because of his sacrifice. If you believe in him and you share that in that inheritance, then you share in that inheritance. Paul tells the Ephesian church in chapter 1, verses 16 through 20, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope in which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. In this world... You may have an inheritance made possible by your parents', fin parents financial well-being. 
In your youth, you may not see that as a, you may see that as a security for your future. And while you certainly don't wish your parents to leave the world early, you have hope in that financial security that they will pass on to you. So, if you are Christ, you have a much more valuable spiritual inheritance in him. This is simply because these things that he will give you are eternal and everlasting. That might sound redundant, but it's not. Everlasting speaks to a joy that never ends. The most important part of your inheritance is in him, is that you will be perfectly reconciled to him and you will enjoy perfect communion with him, basking in his glory. You will be with all the saints, joining in song with them to praise our glorious God. We were created to glorify him, and we will be able to do that perfectly in his presence. No longer will there be sin and the heartache associated with it. We'll be able to walk with Jesus just as he originally designed. In the meantime, we have this eternal hope in him and we can walk in joy while still clothed in these frail human bodies. My first point was that we can know that Jesus is God eternal. My second point is, by Jesus, all things were created. Verse 16, For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rules or authority, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So I found three emphasis in this portion of scripture that direct us to the fact that Jesus correct, uh, created all things. The first is, the light of the world caused all things to be, for by him all things were created. As Pastor John has stated before, all means all. Everything, no exceptions, no conditions, no qualifications. He created it all, and he created us with much care. Genesis 1, 26 through 28 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock stock, and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them, and God blessed them. Then in Genesis 2-7, he says, Moses speaks of God's word. Then the, Lord, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. The psalmist writes in 139, 13 through 14, For you have formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully, fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Our Lord made, it in, made us in his image. He formed us with his hands, and he breathed our life into us. So he has had his hand over us from the beginning of man. As his image bearers, he gave us some of his attributes. He gave us intellect. He gave us the ability to create, not in the sense of his ability to create out of nothing, 
but to use our available resources from his creation to invent and make things. He gave us emotion. He even gave us the ability to choose. But most importantly, he gave us the desire to commune with him, to be with him, and worship him. However, since sin has entered in, our relationship with him has been severed. Thus, the natural man, knowing Christ, then seeks something to worship. He goes to the creation itself to find something he can hold on to. The prophet Isaiah writes in chapter 44, 14 through 17, he cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and he lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for man. He takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns on the fire. Over the other half, he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm and I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my god. Can we catch the foolishness of this? A God made from the same things and with which his man cooks his food. This man cooks his food. But men can fall into this foolish e- foolishness easily simply by focusing on the creation without consideration of a creator. It's kind of like thinking that you get your food from the grocery store without thinking of the work that went into it by the farmer. So men turn away from the creator to seek his creation to the satisfaction of their need to worship. Even as he has redeemed, we can get distracted with things of this world. Some examples, maybe clothes, maybe a special kind of car, sports, or maybe even a bicycle. While many things are are good in and of themselves, our obsession with them can turn those objects or even activities into our gods. Suddenly, then, we can become idol worshipers. Our resolution should be to hold him as preeminent in our lives. That is, he should be above all things in our life. Living daily in his word is a wonderful way to seek time with him, enjoying a two-way conversation with his word and prayer. This practice will cause the believer to always put Christ first because his word becomes ever-present in their mind. And thus, the believer can then avoid the temptation of idolatry through the power of the Holy Spirit. My second emphasis supporting the fact that Jesus, by Jesus all things were created is the King of Kings will put into place governments of all time Verse 16b, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Paul is pointing out to the Colossians that God the Son created even the angelic hosts that the Colossians had errantly worshipped. The false teachers had incorporated into their heresy this worship of angels, including the lie that Jesus was one of them merely a spirit created by God and inferior to him. 
Paul rejected that and made it clear that angels, whatever their rank, whether, whether holy or falling, fallen or mere cre- are mere creatures, and their creator is none other than the preeminent one, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But the text goes further. Just as angelic hosts, than just angelic hosts, Paul also includes our world governments, and this is to our benefit today. Paul states that Christ put these rulers, governors, authorities, even presidents, in place to his own purposes. This demonstrates his sovereignty over governments. These things are caused to be and caused to dissolve by Jesus to suit his plan, that is, the coming of his kingdom and government on earth. So as we grumble about our current leaders, I often do, these leaders, despite however good or evil they may be, are bringing about his plan, usually in unrecognizable ways. My third emphasis that Jesus created all things is, our perfect shepherd cares for and maintains his creation, verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. When the universe had its beginning, Christ already existed. Thus, by definition, he must be eternal. Revelation 22:13. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Christ sustains the universe, maintaining the power and balance necessary to life's existence and continuity. As we read before in Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. By his words, all things are created, and by his words, all things hold together. His hand is on the sparrow. So how does Christ hold all things together? Know that when Christ created the universe, he put into place his created laws of physics and nature. These laws have proved reliable continuously since the beginning of time. Thus, they are called laws. These laws keep creation, the creation in order and away from chaos. In fact, his laws are more than scientific laws. In fact, they are divine laws. Every law of science and nature is really an expression of the mind of God. Consider the atom, our smallest piece of anything. The atom consists of a positively charged nucleus surrounded by a cloud of electrons, negatively charged orbiting electrons. The nucleus is less than one ten thousandth the size of the atom in the atom, but the nucleus contains more than 99.9% of the mass. The fact that the nucleus is positively charged is interesting as it should fly apart as equal charged particles repel each other. This is the mystery of the atom and speaks to God's hand holding things together. The electrons, which are less than 0.1% of the mass of the atom, must fly around the nucleus at such an incredible orbital speed so as not to crash into the nucleus as they are, of course, attracted to the positively charged nucleus. So Christ is the beginning of the creation, the end of, the cre- the end of creation, and the power holds creation together. Jesus is God eternal, and by Jesus all things were created. And thirdly, 
Jesus created his church. And I might add to that, and he continues to create his church today. Verses 18 through 20, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. My first emphasis to Christ creating his church is this. He loves and cares for his church with perfect headship. Verse 18a, and he is the head of the body, the church. As you know, Paul uses the human body as a metaphor for the church of which Christ serves as the head. Just as a body, just as a human body is controlled by the brain, so Christ controls every part of the church and give it life, gives it life and direction. When compare this metaphor to our physical body, we know that the body in and of itself can only do what the brain tells it to do. So the body serves the head just as the church. The body of Christ serves Jesus Christ the head of his church. So Jesus is directing and dominating is the directing and dominating spirit of the church. Without Jesus, the church cannot think the truth. Without him, the church cannot act correctly. Without him, the church cannot decide its direction. But how does the church know the mind of Christ? This must be accomplished through two important ways. Number 1, by the reading and teaching of his word within, number two, the guidance of his Holy Spirit. These two go hand in hand. The church must be fully dedicated to the teaching and preaching of his word. In this post-apostolic age, the Lord speaks to us through his word. For the word of God is a living is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's from Hebrews 4.12. Jesus speaks of God's word, praying for us, God's word, praying for us in John 17.17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And the psalmist wrote 119 in 119.15, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So through our prayers and supplication with him, we can know that his spirit will guide us in truth. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come from John 16, 13. And he promises to be with us as we gather studying his word. For where two or three are gathered in his name, by my name, there I am among them. I am among them. Matthew 18, 20. Discerning the mind of Jesus as to what we, he would have his church do is provided through the leadership of godly men, as is in his design. Rosedale Bible Church has been faithful 
through the teaching and preaching of God's word over the past many years. This has all come through the provision of our Lord. Indeed, he is the one that has put into place our pastors and elders. As such is the case, and such is the case at RBC today. So I want to speak freely with you this morning. Considering that I'm going off the elder board, I think I can speak to these things. And I say these things in complete love for you, our church. Please know that your pastors and elders are shepherd leaders who love and care for you. They pray for you. They take all your concerns into consideration. Please also know that when our pastors and elders present a new ministry direction, they have studied it, tested it against scripture, prayed about it, run scenarios as to its impacts, and prayed over it even more. They present a new ministry direction because they have determined it is what God needs this church to do. So then what should be the body's response? Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. And those who still give will and those who will have to give account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pastors and elders are to preach and teach the word from the word of God under the guidance of the Holy Spirit in order to discern the mind of God that is Christ's headship to the body. The body of Christ is to obey and submit to God-ordained leaders so that the church may be unified under the Lord, so that they may be fully equipped in the gospel to Christ's purpose. Test the Lord in this. If the body is obedient, his church will be blessed beyond measure in caring for one another. In addition, the community around us, those who we are to reach with God's good news will be impacted as well because his church will be unified in the cause to reach them. My second thought to Christ creating this church is this. Jesus is the defeater of death. Verse 18b. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Paul is speaking of the resurrection by Jesus of Jesus by calling him the firstborn of the dead. His resurrection is his title to supreme lordship. Christ has defeated death. Whatever thing, what, what greater thing is there for mankind? The church has its origins in the Lord Jesus because he gave his life to the church through his sacrificial death and resurrection to become its sovereign the firstborn from the dead. Jesus was the first chronologically to be resurrected, resurrected, never to die again. We as well one day will be resurrected by him as he is the defeater of death. Thirdly, his perfect will, his perfect work will create a perfect heaven and earth and has already created a perfect eternal reconciliation for us from verses 19 and 20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, 
and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Paul again is making it clear to the Colossians that Christ is fully God because in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, meaning that Christ, Christ lacked nothing, that he is the full and final revelation God of God and that nothing more is necessary. In the beginning, Christ created the earth perfectly. All things were good until sin, to, sin entered in by, by disobedience coerced by Satan. Because Christ is fully God, he is worthy to accomplish the perfect work on the cross. By his blood being poured out, he has defeated Satan and death. He is our sacrifice. Christ has now reconciled us to himself in that we can now approach God the Father dressed in his, righteous, his righteousness. I see God's reconciliation with this as that of the father of the prodigal son running to the son, hugging him, kissing him with much joy and exuberance, rejoicing at the son's return to him. Romans 5.10 says, for if while we were, we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. God is always pursuing us, always drawing us back to him. When we come to him, we know we will be at peace with him as Christ's perfect sacrifice, his blood on the cross, has made us right before God. God and those who he saved are no longer enmity with, one, with each other. All this is accomplished by the blood of the cross, Christ's perfectly atoning work as sacrifice for sin. Indeed, his redeemed have become new creations. So, as time goes on, he continues to create in the church. And we've seen evidence right this before our very eyes you know, as an example, Liberty, du Liberty Doobie, our pastor's oldest daughter, was baptized right here. And she made a proclamation that she had accepted Christ as her personal Savior, a new creation in God. When you, when you accepted Christ, you became a new creation. Christ did that. And how did he did that, do that? And we compare, when we compare him com completely creating the universe and we compare his death on the cross and his victory over death and his resurrection to the creation of that universe the creation of the universe pales in that work he did that for us God died just for us so that we could become a new creation in him In summary, then, we know that seeing Jesus as the creator of all things is foundational in our understanding of all that he is to us because Jesus is God eternal. As Colossians says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. By Jesus, all things were created, for by him, all things were created. Jesus created his church 
and he is the head of the body, the church. Thinking back at that time at summer camp when I realized that I was superseding God's truths with man's speculations, I came to a new awareness of who God really was. I have a savior, the creator of all things, who loved me so much that he died for me. Not only did he suffer an excruciating death on the Roman cross, but something something happened on that cross that has never, never happened in eternity past. When Jesus took my sin upon himself, he was separated from his father, God. In that moment when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was burdened to the point of death and gave up his life and became the perfect sacrifice for me and in my stead. But his work did not stop at death. He was resurrected by his own power, becoming victorious over all death, giving me an inheritance into his family and a hope for all eternity to enjoy all his goodness. Think about the cross. He took an instrument of death and destruction and turned it into a symbol of love and reconciliation. Amazing. He created a new person in me. He has done the same for you if you believe and come, if you believe and come and come and wholly believe in him only. If you not have accept, if you have not yet accepted this gift, I would be ecstatic and overjoyed to help you make that leap. Joel.